There are five types of voices in a standard choir. The basses are on the bottom, the baritones are above them, the tenors are in the middle with the altos on top of them, and on the very top, there's the sopranos. I'm a tenor, but I love the sound of a good baritone. I guess the grass is always greener, and the voice is always sweeter on the other side. Let's ask the horns what they think. Welcome to Strong Songs, a podcast about music. I'm your host, Kirk Hamilton, and as always, I'm so glad that you joined me to talk about music sung by tenors and music sung by baritones, music sung by altos and sopranos and basses and contratenors and contraaltos and all the other wonderful voices that defy categorization. We've got a very strong song for you this episode that does involve a choir, so find your favorite listening spot, turn up the volume, and enjoy the show. I never sang in choir in school, and these days I actually regret that. I think there's nothing more fun than singing in harmony with other people. It's a really just fun, empowering thing to do. And it's much, much harder to find a choir to sing in as an adult uh, than it was back when I was in school. You know, related to that, though, I think it's easy to fall into thinking that the only time you really could learn music was back when you were in school. And if you didn't learn an instrument by age 20, or you didn't sing in a choir and learn how to really sing by age 20, it's too late for you and you'll never learn. I am here to tell you that that is not the case. That is just simply not true. Learning music as an adult, learning a new instrument, or or picking up the old instrument that you used to play can be one of the most rewarding things you can do. Um, It's not easy. It's hard work. You've got to really stick with it. It can be frustrating. You could pick up the instrument and not stick with it and kind of give up and then feel like you failed. There's definitely a risk of that. But I'm telling you, if you've got that little voice in your head, and I think a lot of people do have this voice that says, you know, man, I just wish I had learned guitar, or I wish I'd learned how to sing, or I wish I I'd learned drums. That would have been so cool. When I see someone playing drums, I feel like I want to do that. Well, listen to that voice. You know, music is an amazing thing and it can be even more a part of your life. You know, playing music makes listening to music much better. You know, the whole thing, it's a kind of a total experience. And just learning an instrument, even if you never go out and play, you don't have to become good, whatever that even means. Just just pick up an instrument and learn it. If you've ever had that feeling, it is worth chasing it down. Okay, PSA over. Welcome to the show, everybody. Before we get started, a couple things. First of all, as I'm sure you know, Strong Songs is a listener-funded, listener-supported show. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash strongsongs. We recently met another Patreon goal, which means that I'm going to be getting new artwork for the show, which is exciting. I'm looking into artists to find I'm going to hire somebody to make new art for the show. So the art will no longer just be a photoshopped picture of my hand pressing a piano key. It's going to be something probably a lot cooler than that. So I'm very excited about that. I'm also putting the finishing touches on an interview episode that was a goal that we met a little while ago, um, and I'm really excited about it. It's with someone very special, and I think it's going to be a cool episode. That will probably drop in the next few weeks. It'll drop in an off week, since this show is every other week, so everyone can look forward to that, too. And you have my Patreon backers to thank for it, so thanks again, everybody who has signed up to become a patron of Strong Songs. 
Thanks to everybody else, too, who's been spreading the word. I just am continually hearing from people who are always spreading the word. People are sharing it on social media, saying nice things, telling their friends to listen to it. And that means a lot. And that is really the primary way that this show grows, which it has been doing. So that's very cool. Thank you, everyone, for spreading the word. And if you haven't, you know, if you know anyone you think might like this show, someone who likes music, who likes listening deeply or might get into this, uh, by all means, tell them about it. Um, I'm always looking for new listeners and hoping that eventually millions and millions of people will be listening to Strong Songs and appreciating their favorite music even more. All right, let's get into this episode's song. This is an iconic song from an iconic artist. It's a song I've been waiting to do for quite a while, and it was really the first and only song I could pick from this particular artist. It's a big song that made a big impact when it came out. It asks big questions about some of the biggest topics there are. It also just has a killer groove and a really cool arrangement. So, What song could I possibly be talking about? What questions could possibly be big enough to merit such a dramatic introduction? You see, it all starts with a meditation on life. And here's the thing about life. That's right, it's time to talk about Madonna, and if you're going to talk about Madonna, you might as well start with her 1989 hit, Like a Prayer. This song, this song is such a dramatic song, it's maybe the most dramatic pop song. If you just asked me, quick, think of a really dramatic pop song, I would probably say Like a Prayer by Madonna. I loved this song as a kid, I think a lot of people did, and one of the main reasons that I loved it was because it's so dramatic, and I think they achieved that drama in some interesting ways with the arrangement and the song itself, the way that it's been written. So I'm excited to get into that drama and pick it apart a little bit, get inside this really cool arrangement of this very, very interesting song on this episode. First of all, some vital stats. Like a Prayer was written and produced by Madonna and Patrick Leonard. It was the lead single and the first track on her 1989 album of the same name. That album is largely seen as a turning point for Madonna, who was already a star, but it kind of elevated her in the culture for a number of reasons. One of those reasons is the song's subject matter. It was sort of a commentary on Madonna's Catholic upbringing. It has a lot of religious overtones and some sexual undertones, and that was, of course, very controversial at the time, especially in 1989. This was a very controversial song. But a huge part of the controversy and the reason that this song was such a big deal was the music video. Now, the music video is not something I'm actually going to talk about on this episode. I want to talk about the song. I want to actually kind of divorce it from the music video because the music video is so almost inextricably linked with the song. I think the song is really cool musically, and obviously this is a podcast, so we can't even really get into all the visual stuff. But the music video is worth checking out. Um, I'll link it in the show notes. It's on YouTube. You can find it. I watched it while I was working this episode, and it's a lot, man. It was She really went for it. It's an extremely bold video, and whether it works or not is would probably be the subject for a different podcast, but um, it is at least worth watching because I think that the song, the impact that this song had was in large part tied to just the outrageous boldness of this video, and it kind of established Madonna as someone who is willing to just push boundaries and just go for it, and that I think is something that's defined her career, you know, for the entirety of her career. 
So back to the song. This is an extremely dramatic song. Um, that word drama, I think, is kind of the concept to keep in mind for this episode, because I think that the the way that the song tells a story through the songwriting, like through the progression of the music, is a big part of what makes it so cool and what makes it so different from most other songs. There still aren't a lot of songs that are structured the same in this specific way that Like a Prayer is, and I think that makes the song kind of stand out even today, all these years, you know, 30 years after it was recorded. So that drama comes from contrast. Contrast is kind of the watchword for Like a Prayer, and it's the contrast between a couple of things. There's the contrast between the wide-open space of the verse... and the tight groove of the chorus... And also the contrast between the major tonality of the chorus, you know, which is an F major, and the D minor tonality of the intro and the bridge. Those two contrasts work together. You know, the the verse and the chorus are very, very different for those two reasons, both the groove and the key that they're in, um, or the chords that they're centered around. And that contrast is at the heart of the drama of this song. It's what makes this song so dramatic. So I'm going to illustrate what I'm talking about. Let's just get right into it. This song begins in D minor with uh, a melody and a chord progression that are the same as come in later on the bridge. It's just Madonna, a choir, and an organ. And she begins with that lyric, life is a mystery, everyone must stand alone. And it's this just, I mean, it grabs your attention the minute you hear it. Great, great intro. Let's listen to that verse. So holy cow, right? Definitely one of the best intros in the history of music. Uh, That's just a great, great, great intro. Now, I said that this is how the song begins, but that's not entirely true. The song begins with this funny little guitar riff that I've seen actually credited to Prince, who produced um, another track on Like a Prayer and was sort of involved in the creation of the album. I know he's, or I've seen that he played some uncredited guitar somewhere, so someone that you're hearing there may be Prince playing guitar, and it would make sense that he would play this beginning riff. But it starts with this funny guitar riff. This is how Like a Prayer actually begins. Now, whether or not that guitar playing is actually being done by Prince, it fulfills an interesting and kind of important function for the very beginning of the song, because it starts with this groovy thing, right? That guitar riff is in time, you know, it's kind of dark and rocking. So that puts you in this one headspace, right? But then there's this actual literal door slam as the door slams on that groove. And then suddenly you're in this spacious place, right? That feels like a cathedral. It feels honestly like you you were in the chaotic outside world and then boom, a door slams. And here you are inside of a church or a cathedral and this choir is singing and there's just a choir and an organ, the two most church-like sounds. And it it creates a space and then changes it. And remember, contrast is kind of the word that I'm that I'm sticking with here for, for like a prayer. And that contrast is immediately established. I mean, that takes about five seconds or something. But by having a guitar play that riff, this really kind of frantic rocking riff, and then boom, a door slams, and you're inside, and you're in the church, and the choir is singing this very, very delicate harmony, and Madonna begins to sing. It just centers your attention in a way that's really effective.
And lyrically and harmonically, I think that's a really cool verse. Um, there's a couple of cool things going on there. First of all, um, harmonically, it's just moving. We're in D minor here. There's a D pedal going on. The organ is pedaling. Remember, we talked about what a pedal tone is a little while ago. That's when there's a note in the bass that kind of stays static as the chords move. In this case, it's a D, and the chords are kind of moving around. There's like a C and then a G minor, and it's all over D. And then the chords begin, the bass line begins to move toward the end of the phrase, which kind of gives you this sense of motion. And, uh, you know, it goes goes to this E and then it goes to a like sort of C7 over B flat and then an F over A and so it's like the, the bass line starts moving from that D which adds a sense of like okay we're going somewhere meanwhile the lyric is saying I hear you call my name and it feels like home and it's such a great kind of small build to a bit of tension within a really cool resolution. And it resolves to D minor. So it's this like nice little neatly contained bit of tension and resolution that just, it really just, it works so beautifully. It's so beautifully constructed. So then it's time to set up that groove, which establishes Like a Prayer's secret weapon. It's actually the instrument that's been a secret weapon on a lot of songs that we've talked about and is just a really common secret weapon, and that's the shaker. Uh, that shaker comes in on the left channel, and it isn't just a shaker. There's a really cool thing they're doing with the groove here. It is a shaker and a triangle combined, and it makes this really, really nice little groove. So the drums come in soon, and the guitar comes in. The guitar is really cool. We're going to break all of that down. But actually, I really think that that shaker triangle, you know, combo, that provides so much of this cool little bit of sizzle in this song that 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 makes the groove really distinct and ties the thing together. It ties together the two very dramatically different parts, you know, the two very contrasting parts. Um, they're kind of unified. The the pulse keeps going even when the time drops out and it's just choirs and, and organs. That pulse is still kind of there and it's because of that shaker and that triangle. Okay, so let's break that groove down. Let's start with the shaker. The shaker is really straightforward. Um, it's just a typical kind of a shaker sound. All right, so that's pretty standard shaker maneuver. Um, now listen back to the original recording and listen for the triangle. That's the really high ting sound, that's the thing that sets this little groove apart and kind of defines it. This is all sizzle in the thump pop sizzle breakdown. They may say all sizzle, no steak is a bad thing, but in this case, just having sizzle, you know, no thump, no kick drum, boom, boom, and no pop, no snare yet. There's quite a snare drum on this song, but the snare has not yet come in. This is all sizzle, just that chicka, 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 chicka. But all sizzle, no steak only really applies to um, talking about meat and making metaphors for uh, for people who are all talking no action. And uh, in this case, the sizzle is actually really cool and it adds a lot. And it is that triangle that makes this sizzle really kind of work. It's what makes it stand out. It's that ding, 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 ding that they're doing um, throughout the groove. Because, you know, the shaker is this kind of wide shk, shk, shk sound. So you need something to cut through it. And that is exactly what the triangle does. Check it out. So if you can hear it in there, counting it kind of like if the tempo is right here, it's like and it adds this really nice syncopated uh, quality to the rhythm. 
So I actually don't own a set of triangles. I've been meaning to buy them, and they're not even that expensive, and they're a really cool thing to have because you can make little grooves just like this. I'm actually going to get a little creative with my tambourine. I'm going to take two of the little metal, the tiny little metal um, clangers on the tambourine, which are actually called zills. I did not know that, but now I know that. I'm going to take two of the tambourine zills and try to recreate that triangle sound. Let's see how it sounds. All right, not bad. So the groove is obviously about to get a lot bigger. There's actually a lot more Latin percussion that comes in a little bit later. There's some timbales and some conga drums. Um, but for now, just that little tiny groove is actually a really crucial part of the pulse of this song because, like I said, it's the unifying thread between those two highly contrasting sections. You know, it goes in the background during those wide open choral verses and it mimics the groove that comes in during the chorus. So it's fitting that it would be the first thing that you would hear, the first kind of aspect of groove you would hear in the song that's setting up the entrance of the full rhythm section in that whole chorus groove. So let's take it from there, from that percussion entrance that then builds up to the first chorus and the entrance of this song's really, really killer primary groove. Oh, man. So you see what I'm talking about with contrast, right? I mean, that chorus comes in and suddenly it's this huge party. We go from D minor to F major. The guitar comes in with this super killer guitar riff. And it's just it completely different energy. But then at the end of the chorus, just boom, it drops out. And suddenly you are you feel like you're flying through space, which actually lines up with the lyrics in a cool way, too. It's a really it's just such a dramatic style of songwriting. It's something that I wish more people did because it's so um, it's so immediately kind of arresting and interesting. All right, so let's break down this groove. This is the other primary groove of Like a Prayer, and like I've said many times, it is in stark contrast to the groove or lack of groove um, on the verse. This uh, this rhythm is largely the work of a guy named Guy Pratt, who uh, played bass on this and also did the drum programming. Guy Pratt is really interesting. He's totally one of those guys that I think are kind of uh, fascinating just because he's not really famous, but he's played with a ton of people. He's a bass player, a drummer, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He's just been around. He's still around still doing all kinds of stuff. And you maybe don't know his name, but you've heard him on a million things. Actually, um, the guys in Toto are sort of like that. Jeff Parkero, one of the co-writers of Toto's Africa, aka the inaugural Strong Song, um, played drums on some songs on Like a Prayer as well. You'll just see these names for people who write songs and play in studio albums and are just kind of all around and they aren't, you know, at the forefront. They're not, they're not leading their own bands necessarily, but they're really crucial parts of a lot of very important songs. Also, it's not lost on me that I keep saying that Guy Pratt is an interesting guy. I mean, he is an interesting guy, and he's also an interesting guy. So let's listen to this groove. Um, there's a few things I just want to highlight about it that are pretty cool. Um, so here is the groove of the chorus of Like a Prayer. So really, the guitar and the bass are the two things that I think are coolest about the uh, the chorus groove on this song. The drums, I'm not totally sure if that's a real drum set or programmed drums. The drums sound good. I mean, you know, there's that big, fat snare drum in there that keeps setting up uh, setting up the downbeats with those fills. 
but you know the drums are are they're keep, they're holding it down, but it's really what the bass is doing, what the guitars are doing. That um that's that's coolest. So let's start with the bass. Guy Pratt is playing bass. And I think he's like doubling it with a synth. It sounds like you can hear an actual bass underneath it, but there's some kind of synth like a Moog or something playing a synth bass line that lines up with the bass part that he's playing that they maybe recorded after the fact. But the line that he's playing is really jumpy and it's kind of a jumping bean. It's this it's this very syncopated thing that bounces around underneath the more steady groove that's happening on top of it. It sounds kind of like this. Mm-hmm. Okay, listen to the recording and listen, just focus on the bass and listen for that. It's a cool bass line and it leaves all this space. It's kind of much more playful than your average bass line because it doesn't have to drive the bus. Now the drums are driving the bus in part. This is kind of a two two people in the group are driving the bus. But the thing that's really driving the bus while the bass is in the back goofing around, horsing around is the guitar. The guitar is a crucial, crucial part of the groove on the chorus for Like a Prayer. So the two credited guitar players are Dan Huff and Chester Kamen, two studio guys. And like I mentioned before, people have said that Prince recorded some stuff that was maybe never used for this track, so there's always this possibility that Prince has an uncredited guitar track in there. I actually sort of like the thought that on every song you've ever listened to, there's always a possibility that maybe Prince just played guitar on it and was uncredited. So Prince could just be everywhere. Maybe Prince is on every recording ever made. Sort of a nice thought. Alright, so listen back to the groove one more time, and this time try to really focus on what the guitar is doing. You've got that jumpy bass down on the bottom, the drums are holding steady, and the guitars are doing something really cool. They're in the right and left channel, and then there's a third guitar part that comes in sporadically that's also really neat. We're going to break all of that down, but first just listen to it. Man, so that is such a classic guitar sound that's that's happening on Like a Prayer. It's a sound you'll hear actually on a lot of Madonna tracks from the 80s and from a lot of pop tracks from the 80s and really just on tunes today. It's a classic, classic sound. It's actually somewhat frustratingly a sound that I can't quite get because it is a Fender Stratocaster making that sound, and I do not have a Stratocaster. That's kind of the one guitar tone that I can't get. I guess that and a Les Paul, I don't have either of those guitars, but I kind of, I really kind of want to get a Strat. This makes me want to get a Strat as well. It's such a classic, and part of the reason for that is because it has this very distinct kind of scooped sound that works beautifully on funk stuff and on this kind of pop stuff, you know, this really percussive, very, um, a lot of pick, muted pick strumming going on um, to get that kind of a sound. But anyways, I can still recreate it pretty well. It's a very compressed, very clean sound, and uh, it was fun to try to figure out what the guitar player was playing. Uh, special shout out to my friends Kenji and Dan, both amazing guitar players, who gave me a good sort of second set of ears or second two pairs of ears when I was figuring out uh, what exactly this guitar tone was. Their guitars in the right and the left, they're playing the same thing, but I think it's different tracks, and they're just playing triads. So that's just the, the one, the three, and the five, just the most basic kind of chord. And that's a pretty standard thing to play on this kind of a groove. We're in F major now, remember, we were in D minor for the intro, and we're in F major for the chorus. And just as a refresher, those are relative major and minor to one another. They're this, they have the same notes in the scale, it's just one starts on D and one starts on F. And D and F major 
are sort of relative minor and relative major to one another. So it makes sense that they would sort of transition between the two. So we're going from an F to a C to a B flat, and the guitar is basically playing this. It's such a distinct sound, right? And it's really percussive. And that's because, like I mentioned, there's this kind of muted string picking going on. So if you mute the strings on a guitar, that means you take your left hand, or you can palm mute too, but let's let's just pretend we're just talking about left hand muting, and you place your fingers loosely along the string so they're not making any sound at all. And then you can kind of just like hit it like you know, like you're really percussively strumming with the pick, but it won't make any notes, it'll just make that kind of kind of a sound. You'll hear that in a lot in funk and a lot in pop. It sounds like this. So that's how they're approaching the guitar playing. Also, like I said, the tone is very compressed. It's very squished and kind of uniform and very, very punchy. And then they've also got two different guitar tracks going the left and right channel playing the same thing, which creates this almost ping-ponging effect, but not quite, but it really adds to the kind of uh, pulse that the guitar is adding to the groove. So like I said, I don't have a Strat, so I can't get the exact magic Strat sound, but that's pretty much what they're playing. So now listen back to the main recording and pay attention for that guitar, just that chicka 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 and the way the guitar is really driving the bus on this chorus. sounds so perfect. I mean, they're better guitar players than I am too, but man, I love that sound, love that guitar tone. There's one other guitar thing that I want to point out that I really love, and it's this guitar this guitar chord that hits on the end of two. So it's like one, two, ah, uh, and there's this big open chord that just sort of rings out and uh, sort of delays out. There's a lot of delay and reverb on it, and it just sort of rings out and goes off into space. It's basically an F power chord higher up on the neck. I mean, it's an F and a C, so it's just a fifth, and it's this very chimey, beautiful sound that happens at the start of every phrase on the end of two and it rings out. This is what it sounds like in the recording. Just a really nice guitar touch that adds to the atmosphere of the song and, and adds to that, that sense of openness, I think, and sort of cathedral-likeness that this song has throughout. All right, so let's go back and listen to that whole first chorus, and I want you to pay attention for all those things that I just highlighted. Listen for the bass and the way that the bass is kind of jumping around and having a good time, doing a lot of interesting syncopated rhythms. Listen for the guitar and the way that that main guitar sort of, you know, muted string chicka 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 thing is really driving the groove. And then also listen for that chimey F power chord up high that happens on the end of two of each phrase. So listen to the chorus and keep an ear out for all of that. So it's such a dramatic shift, right? Back to these verses. But notice that over in that left channel, that shaker and that triangle are getting it done. They're holding down the groove and they're keeping the whole thing together. So that when we come back to the chorus, the pulse is still with us. You know, the pulse never left. The heartbeat of the song never stopped pumping. Here we go. Like 
So at this point, many of the elements of the song have been introduced. The basic gist of the song has been established, but there is one major element that is about to come in, and that is the Andre Crouch Choir, the backing choir that uh, that comes in at this point in the second chorus and accompanies Madonna throughout the rest of the song. Listen for them. You can hear them over in the right channel, and it's just subtly different from that first chorus because there are more voices in. What a well-done introduction for that choir. I love, you can hear the male voices. I think it's kind of the tenors are down there on a C and a D right here. Uh, listen again, I'll play piano along with it so you can hear that tenor part over in the right channel. It's really nice, you know, it kind of, it, it builds up and then kind of carries out into the verse in a really beautiful way. It really adds, right? I think that having that extra texture and especially having that male voice in there, um, it's a nice contrast to what uh, Madonna is singing into the female voices that are on top of the arrangement. And it just adds a nice bit of thickness to the sound of the song. Speaking of backup vocals, there's an interesting thing that happens in the middle of each verse, and that's where Madonna records an overdub and harmonizes with herself with a kind of a strange harmony that's a little bit loose in terms of pitch in a way that I think is interesting because you wouldn't hear it in a recording that was done today. But I think it's it's neat because you can actually hear her as a person uh, just because it's a little bit loose. Uh, it's when she says, now I'm dancing. It's this part where she comes in on a higher part above herself. Uh, it's right here. Listen to it. It's not badly sung or anything. It's kind of a weird harmony part. She just is like up a third and it has this like parallel and then anti-parallel motion going on. Um, it's And then they end actually on the same note, the two parts. So they have to be perfectly in, in tune with one another because she's singing the same note on both parts. And it's not that she's out of tune exactly, it's just that it's it's a little loose, like you can really hear her. And that's true across this whole recording. You can really hear her voice uh, in the lead vocal track. This is a really well-produced and well-engineered track. You know, the vocals sound great, they've put some delay on her, some reverb, it's equalized and compressed really beautifully. She's doubtless singing into a wonderful microphone, but you can really hear her in the booth. You can hear her breath, you can hear her voice in a way that you kind of can't in modern recordings. Uh, let me let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So on the TV show Glee, they did a cover of the song. Of course they did. They do a cover of lots of great pop songs. And it sounds very different. This is what that same section sounds like when the singers on Glee did it. You're in control just like a child. Now I'm dancing. It's like a dream. Now, this is a really intense comparison and not a really a fair one. I, I'm not trying to do a one-to-one -one here. Part of the appeal of Glee is that they create these turbocharged versions of pop songs that are so shiny and candy-colored and pristine, and they do that with a lot of really intense compression and a lot of auto-tune on the vocals to make everything sound, you know, supercharged in a way that even most modern pop recordings don't. You know, Glee is kind of a caricature. But it is kind of instructive because there is auto-tune in there. The vocal performance is so much clearer. The backup vocals are so 
so brought up in the mix and so, you know, perfect. And there's just a kind of a, a lack of humanity in the recording that I think you really do get when you listen to the Madonna version. There's also the fact that the Glee version is up a major third, which, you know, brings out a lot more in the vocals and lets everybody be a lot more showy. So there are some definite differences. And those differences go beyond the quality of the recording and the nature of the of the vocal performance. But it's still instructive to listen to them back to back. So listen to those two excerpts back to back. And I'll play the Madonna one, then the Glee one, and then the Madonna one again. And pay attention just on the Madonna one. Let it kind of emphasize for you how much of her you can hear in the recording. The differences are instructive, right? It's it's partly just the difference that, you know, 30 years of production techniques will make. And also, you know, the difference it makes when you bring a song up a third. But uh, it gets kind of also at Madonna's singing. I think that Madonna has never been known as a real powerhouse singer. But I think that she's an interesting singer with a really cool and charismatic voice. Like, I like her voice a lot. Even though there are times in this recording in particular where she sounds fine, but she doesn't sound as, you know, totally dialed in as, you know, another singer might even back then or a singer would today. Leah Michelle, and I think that that's Leah Michelle from Glee singing that part anyways, a lot of the different different people from the casting at different points in that recording, but I believe that's her. You know, she's a powerhouse vocalist and that's kind of her whole deal is these really intense, you know, wailing high notes. And it's it's kind of striking to hear the song sung that way and I definitely prefer Madonna's version. Makes sense it's the original, but I do prefer that style of singing. I think it works for what the song is. This is supposed to be a kind of a vulnerable narrator, right? She's a little bit lost. She's questioning her faith. She's questioning everything. And that comes across in Madonna's performance. And when a real powerhouse, amazing vocalist brings it in and the whole thing gets dialed up six notches, suddenly it just sounds like this kind of exalting, glorious song, which is what the chorus is supposed to sound like, but not really what the verse is supposed to sound like. So no offense, Glee fans, but uh, Glee kind of like missed the point of this song a little bit with their cover of it, as much fun as that cover was. So with this verse finished, it's time for Madonna to come back to the chorus and that actually means coming back to the chorus because this time the choir is in um, at the very beginning of the chorus and she actually brings them in with the lyric let the choir sing which is one of those fun moments where the lyric of a song actually pertains to what is happening musically in the song I always enjoy that so it's time for the chorus at the chorus and yeah listen again for that that tenor part that's kind of right there on that C starting on the C when you call my name over in the right channel Uh, it sounds really really cool and just really big They go through the chorus two times this time with the full choir in and everything is very triumphant. And then they do something interesting. They go back to that intro sequence and they do that again, but they change the groove completely and add this kind of electric guitar to it and a really intense, you know, electric bass pedal kind of rocking out and the drums keep going. And it feels like a bridge, even though harmonically it's actually the same thing as what's happening during the intro. Uh, It's this section. You know this section. Everybody knows this section. And then she sings the same lyrics as at the very beginning of the song. Life is a 
So if you want to know what a difference a groove makes, you know, a really heavy backbeat in the drums and a rocking guitar, they've actually added some conga drums over in the right channel and a choir kind of ah, in the background. It changes the vibe so much, even though musically, it's this, that's the exact same passage as this. So I think that is so cool. This song is all about contrast. Remember the contrast between those big open cathedral-like verses and those grooving triumphant choruses. And then they do something clever where on the bridge, which I guess it's technically the bridge, the bridge takes the chords and the melody and everything from that really, you know, open, uh, mysterious intro and adds this beat to it and makes it rock, which adds an element of tension by taking the things that have been so contrasted and kind of combining them in a really interesting way. So remember back when I talked about that intro, I talked about the D pedal. And remember, that's a pedal tone, that's just like a bass note, and there's this D pedal and it just sits on D. And then finally it begins to be, it begins to move, and it goes up to an E, and then to a B flat, then to an A, and it kind of walks up the scale in this way that feels like it's going somewhere. And Madonna did a really cool thing, remember, in the beginning where she says, and it feels like, and then they just sit there on the unresolved chord, home. And that's, you know, a smart way to use the sort of tension that's built into that ascending line and the way that the bass changes and it, you feel like you're heading toward a destination. When the beat is in and the electric bass is in and everything is kind of rocking and the choir is really going, that tension that's building toward a big release is emphasized a hundred times over. So they do this huge build and then they finally come out to the big, you know, triumphant chorus in that F major chord and it's really great. You are a mystery. All right, start the bill. Oh man, so this section has just got it all. This is the climax of the song. We're back to the F major chord from the from the chorus. We've spent a long time getting there on that bridge, you know, back in D minor. Things are dark and, and mysterious. And then finally, boom, here we are. This is Deliverance, just like a prayer. The Andre Crouch Choir will take us there. So that clip actually has my favorite random musical element that's in this entire song. And that's the timbale fill that plays in the left channel. Timbale is a Latin percussion instrument. You can hear it right here. Like, it's not completely random. There is some Latin percussion happening in this groove in general. You know, that shaker in the triangle. Also, there's a, a congas happening in the right channel at various points in the choruses. But still, it's kind of unexpected and a lot of fun. All of the percussion on this track was recorded by Paulino da Costa, who is actually a Brazilian percussionist who's on a ton of records as well. And he did a great job on this track. There's one more element that's added here, of course, and that is the soloist from the Andre Crouch Choir. I cannot find her name. I've looked everywhere and I don't know what her name is, but man, she kills it. Listen for her singing. 
That is not Madonna singing. So, you know, like I said, Madonna is not a powerhouse vocalist. That was never her thing. And her vocal quality works really well on the verses. But when it's time for this big deliverance, you know, time to bring it home section of the song, you need someone to kind of belt it out, you know, to really wail. And that's where the singer comes in. So that vocal performance is really awesome. I wish I knew the name of the woman who sang it so that I could credit her. And I should say, I'm assuming that it's someone from the Andre Crouch Choir, but it is possible that it is either Donna DeLore or Nikki Harris, who are two credited backup singers who sang with Madonna for quite a while. Based on the way that it's recorded, it sounds like someone who's standing with the choir, standing up and singing. So that's my assumption, but it is possible that it's one of those two singers. Um, and that kind of gets into a thing with backup singers and these kind of artists. Actually, Guy Pratt and Paulina DaCosta are both examples of this kind of musician. These are the music that I think are the most interesting and the most worthy of celebration. They're the people whose name you kind of can't always find, whose credits are tricky to find. You know, who played that timbale fill on this track? You know, who was that backup soloist? Who was the soloist who stepped forward and sang that part? And I think that that is a really, like, those musicians are the musicians that are fascinating. I think there are a lot of cool documentaries about those kinds of players. You know, the uh, Muscle Shoals documentary is really cool. The one about the Funk Brothers is great. And actually about backup singers, I really highly recommend the documentary of 20 Feet from Stardom. Anybody listening to Strong Songs would enjoy 20 Feet from Stardom. It's all about backup singers um, and it's just a great, great movie that you should totally check out. It'll give you a new appreciation for musicians like this woman who is totally killing it on the final chorus of Like a Prayer. So after the climax, it's just time for them to go back to that, you know, kind of rocking verse. This is a not quite a vamp, but it's just a long outro to the song. And they just keep doing that sort of build the tension, build, build, build to that climax. There's one other thing on this outro. Actually, after Madonna stops singing, the band just kind of keeps going um, on that D minor pedal. And you can really hear the choir just having a blast. You can hear, if you listen, you can hear people kind of, like kind of, you know, hollering and, and adding their own ad-libbed um, sounds and notes to the to the arrangement. And it just, it adds this sense of playfulness and fun that really just comes across even if you don't notice it. You know, it's like these cries of joy almost. You just can't fake that. It adds a human element to this ending that I just, I love so much. And then right when you think you're done, Guy Pratt plays this completely sick bass fill during the fade out. Check it out. What? Like, what was that? The band is fading out. I guarantee 95% of people who've listened to this song, of the millions and millions of people who've listened to this song, have never noticed that bass fill. And I love that he decided to put it there. You know, they're in the middle of the fade out. They're just kind of jamming on this D minor. And then, oh, time to play a nasty bass fill. It's perfect. A perfect way to end this song. This song that is so well put together and such a great example of contrast and is so elevated by those musicians in the background who just brought an extra something to the studio that day in order to elevate what was already a very good song and turn it into something truly special. 
That'll do it for my analysis of Madonna's Like a Prayer, a killer tune that gave me a new appreciation both for Madonna and for all the people who played with her. As always, you can contact me at strongsongspodcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at me at Kirk, K-I-R-K, Hamilton, with any feedback or questions for an upcoming Q&A. Links to my newsletter, a playlist of all the songs that have been on this show, and of course my Patreon are in the show notes, along with my whole and half note backers. Thanks so much to them. If you like Strong Songs, I hope you'll consider leaving me a review or becoming a patron on Patreon. This episode's outro soloist is Mr. Steve Pardo, an amazing saxophonist who is actually a fellow graduate of the University of Miami Jazz Saxophone Program. He is a killer player, as you're about to hear, and he plays all around the Nashville, Tennessee area. So stick around for Steve, and I'll be back in two weeks with yet another strong song. Strong song.